Hello, my friends. I've got some exciting news to share today. We have a leadership challenge called Know What You Don't Know. And this week, one of our customers completed this challenge and it resulted in saving their company 80% on server costs. This is why I get so excited when talking about Leaderbits. Leaderbits is an action-based leadership development program where you take action on the advice from the greatest leaders in the world. Visit leaderbits.io to learn more. Now, get excited because today we are talking to Mads, the CTO at Georgian Partners, and we discuss ways to build trust with your customers and partners, what it means to focus on high leverage activities, and two key ways to supercharge the productivity of your team. All of this right here, right now on the Modern CTO Podcast. Here we go. This is the Modern CTO Podcast. Are you are you in Canada right now? Yeah, in Toronto. How's that? Is it is it hot, cold? What's it like there? Um, about twenty degrees Celsius. Wow. Here it's like hot. We're in Florida. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, I was in Florida. I was in Florida over the weekend. I think when you when you when you emailed me, I was I was in Miami at the time. Oh yeah, what were you doing down there? Just personal hanging I just out. Went, went there for the weekend. Yeah. Yeah, it's nice though, right? Yeah, it's pretty nice. Which which part of Florida are you guys? We're just south of Tampa, so we're in this town called Sarasota. Got it. And we're like a big tourist destination for the beach. We have the number one beach in the United States. Like every other year, we get that award. Yeah. And so, yeah, that's why people come. They come for the beach. I enjoyed that beach a couple of times. Um, one of our, uh, one of my friends uh, used to live there. He recently sold his house, but I, I visited him a couple of times. So the beach is really nice. Yeah. Like in Sarasota or Tampa. Yeah. The, the siesta, I'm talking about Siesta Key, I guess. Oh, you know Siesta Key? What? <laughs> Come on, dude. I'm a, I'm a native here to Siesta Key. So like, really? Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. So I've seen the, the town change drastically over 30 years because it's just it got pop, more popular and then the whole city exploded and it's just in very large amounts of growth everywhere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and you play tennis, right? I play tennis, yeah. We've got IMG Academy here now. So you got like a couple of world famous tennis people that live in Sarasota because of that. Really? I didn't know that. Yeah, it's popular for tennis. I didn't know it either until about last week somebody told me. <laughs> do you play uh, do you play tennis or uh I have played tennis, uh not competitively, but just socially. <laughs> yeah. I can I can play. I'm, I'm not like fantastic. <laughs> What about you? Did you win a world championship? No, no, no. I, I, I play Come with on. my wife. I play with my wife primarily. So we, we enjoy playing with one another. Oh, nice. Yeah, that's that's a good social. Like some of the people that do the tennis stuff, pretty social and they do the couples and they, yep. you guys do that stuff? Yeah, that's exactly right. Nice, nice. I'm excited. So like, have you ever done any tennis technology work at all? Uh Tennis technology? What were you yeah, that? Like a, has like tennis and technology ever crossed your path? Yeah, uh, not really. That's 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 an interesting, interesting question. I think the the closest tennis and technology have have intersected was I think I I, I had an attempt at buying a Babolat racket with a sensor in it, but then I I, I ended up not purchasing it. Um, but I I think I mean the question is interesting because I think there's a lot of technology being brought to tennis these days, both in terms of equipment. So sensors kind of embedding in rackets, kind of uh, tracking your moves and kind of giving suggestions back in terms of where you should improve your skills, beat your serve, beat your, your forehand backhand. 
Um, but even if you look at kind of all the analytics that are, are going on, I guess, on, in a tennis match, and not, not to mention kind of the whole, whole vision system that is, that is tracking kind of the ball movement. So there is, there is a plenty of technology in the, in, in, the, in the sport. That's interesting. Like as you go to prepare against somebody, like your, your opponent, you could have vision systems tracking them and, and know their styles and like learn, learn all their data and give me some suggestions as to how to beat my opponent probably yeah that's interesting i met um avi systems is, is a company and they they do many things in video but one huh. of the things that they do is they um they make like when you see baseball and you see all like the swing speed mile yeah. per hour all the yeah. analytics they package that up and then like we'll sell it to the espns and like sell it to the it. It. yeah so they're they're like other companies are putting together the sensors like ESPN is not doing that right <laughs> <laughs> yeah and so I was wondering who's doing that for tennis right because it's super useful yeah I don't know I mean IBM is is a is a big player in the space from an analytics perspective but there must be technology vendors behind the scenes kind of with a helping with with kind of the gathering the information in real time or someone who has like a really smart dad they, or or parent they put a drone up over the match and it's <laughs> <laughs> like. For the high school invention contest. Yeah, that's yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I'm off topic. Today, today's been a really good good morning, um, and so I just have a lot of a lot of energy today. What, what's how's your day your- like? Like, how many podcasts do you have scheduled a day, or how do you? What, what's your? How do you? How do you schedule them? How do you plan them? Well, so usually I do Tuesday and Thursday. I try to do one on Tuesday and Thursday, but for special guests that like stack up, sometimes I'll do two on Tuesday and two on Thursday. So today is a special. Th- Today is a special Thursday where I have you in the morning and then in the afternoon I have the CTO of Reddit. Got it. Yeah. Very nice. And so you you were the you were the special one. <laughs> uh, you were referred to me by by Mike Anderson from TLM. Do you know Mike? Yeah. Really? Yeah. Did you yeah. I, I didn't realize you did you have Mike on the on the on the show? Uh yeah. Yeah. Because last time I looked, I, I didn't I didn't see his name on the list. So, so maybe it was a, a recent podcast that you you uploaded recently. Yeah, Mike yeah. Mike is a great guy. Telem is one of our portfolio companies. Mike Mike is a fabulous guy. Yeah, I was out. He's a customer of ours, and okay. so I was out in LA meeting with him, uh, and he was just like really cool, likable, sharp yeah, yeah. person. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was like, dude, you have to come on the podcast, <laughs> and he's like, absolutely. And then he said, um. He, he said, you got to meet Mads over at um, Georgian Partners. And then he introduced me to somebody else over at Battery Ventures. But he's like, you got to meet these people. They're like really cool. And so I, I said, let's do it. I said, Chloe, prioritize. Let's get them on the show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, happy to be here, man. This is nice. So what, what's your background? Like, where did you start? Where, how did you originally fall in love with technology? Sure, yeah. So, um where do I start? So, so I, I hailed from Romania, born and raised in Romania. Uh, moved to uh, Canada about 15 years ago. So I, I did most of my studies in Romania, uh, including undergrad, and then I moved to Canada for for grad school. Um, and I think when it comes to technology, I probably fell in love with the the application of technology more so than technology itself. I would say um, it probably starts with my 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 primary school days uh, programming on a so back in Romania, programming on a Commodore knockoff that kind of the, the Romanian folks created, manufactured, and sold to uh, to young kids like myself. Uh, and I programmed in BASIC. And I think the 
it was a kind of a nice nice moment when I saw kind of some graphics projected on a on a TV screen, uh, ba based on my my basic language, basically based on my basic basic code. Um, so that was probably the kind of the early days. I, I did my high school in uh, in computer science and, and math, so the, the the high school curriculum was very very uh, focused on uh, on computer science and, and and math. And then undergrad was was computer science and engineering. And then my my PhD here at the University of Toronto was was in computer science as well. So uh, so starting with primary school, there's kind of a nice progression to kind of more advanced topics of of technology. And then what was your first professional experience after after college? Um, so after after college, I uh, I worked for a year actually on a on a large scale distributed system, uh, supporting the uh, the CERN uh, LHC. Oh, the yes, yeah. I, so I love that thing. Yeah, it was very interesting. So um, we had a team back back in Romania that was collaborating with uh, with a team at CERN. And uh, the Romanian team was primarily in charge of building this uh, this uh, data collection um, system uh, that would support more more complex analytics. Um, so basically, ingesting data at high high frequencies, high high speeds, and supporting uh, supporting analytics on, on top of that. So that's kind of where I spent one year after I finished my my undergrad, and then um, immediately after I, I moved to Canada to start my uh, my my grad school, to start my PhD in computer science. Um, and then during my PhD, I spent a year at IBM building uh, cloud computing software. Uh, so another kind of form of a large-scale distributed system, if you will. Uh, I also spent a bit of time at a company called NetApp, Network Appliance. Yeah. Uh, they're pure play data storage provider. Um, so I spent time in their advanced technology group, which is, uh, uh, think of it as an industrial research lab. Uh, basically, the mission of the group is to look at technology trends, software and hardware, and, and bring those trends into, into the business to advance business units, to advance product lines. Um, so I spent a bit of time there during my PhD, and then after my PhD, I, I spent uh, about two years uh, in, in the advanced technology group looking at uh, software trends like no NoSQL databases, uh, cloud computing, uh, but also harder trends, uh, the advent of uh, non-volatile memories. Um, so basically, persistent DRAM and flash uh, at, at the time was kind of still, still kind of still uh, in its kind of nascent, nascent days. Um, so that's kind of the, the progression from schooling to uh, to industry. Um, and then following that up, following two years of NetApp, I joined Georgian Partners about five years ago. But how? Like, how does that happen? Like, did, it was it relationships? Did you meet some cool people? Like, how did you get involved? At what point were you like, I want to go into the VC world? Yeah, it's it's a, it's a great question, isn't it? So I think, um, I mean, I, I throughout my career, I, I would say I was kind of always open to to interesting opportunities, and uh, I think recognizing how important relationships are, kind of throughout 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 uh, throughout my career so far um i think the move to the move to georgian happened i would say somewhat organically um so i was working for NetApp. i was living in toronto at the time um i'm still i still live in toronto so throughout after i moved from romania i always lived in toronto but while i was working for NetApp, i was based in boston so i used to commute on a weekly basis from toronto to boston um, and uh, it was a lot of fun but after after a couple of years i was thinking probably probably better to move to toronto and I saw a job posting uh, by by a guy by the name of Herschel Harris, who um, who used to be uh, who used to lead the Toronto lab for for IBM, and he was also the VP of engineering and and VP of product for some of 
IBM Score products, flagship products like DB2, for instance, their database product and, and WebSphere. Um, so the posting was on behalf of a venture capital firm, but, but obviously the guy had a very different background. So that piqued my interest. I reached out to him um, and then we, we got together, we connected and, uh, and we clicked. Um, the, the job description, while it sounded very different than kind of the work uh, I was doing at the time at NetApp, basically applied research work at NetApp, um, I think in abstract, there were a lot of kind of transferables from, from the work I was doing at NetApp to, to the work um, I've been doing at, at Georgian. Uh, essentially looking at technology trends and helping various business units at NetApp and portfolio companies in our case adopt the respective trends um, is, is, is somewhat similar. Um, so the, the move was primarily driven by my lack of understanding of venture capital, but my interest in working with, uh, with a very interesting group of people that, that have a very strong technology background, starting with, starting with Herschel, but continuing with the rest of the team. So it was obvious to me that um, the, uh, the, the company had a very strong technology pedigree, not a finance pedigree. I'm not a finance guy. I like numbers, but I'm not a finance guy. Uh, and then this notion of, uh, Georgian helping companies with the adoption of technology trends resonated very well with me and it, it kind of it mapped my, my interests in terms of kind of looking at interesting research trends, technology trends and, and bringing them into product. Yeah, and that's one of the things that really stood out to me when Mike referred you is I started looking into it and I said, okay, you're a CTO out of venture capital fund. Mm -hmm. Gotta be like helping these companies uh, either like doing due diligence or helping them do something on the macro. So that's what you're doing on a day to day, right? You're, you're helping these companies understand these trends, adopt them and work with them. Yeah, pretty much at a high level. That's the, that's the core of the job. Um, the, um, the, the way we're, the way we're helping our companies at Georgian. Um, so probably some context would be, would be useful there. So we, we built since day one at Georgian, we built what we call an impact team, which is a group of individuals such as myself, uh, that are, are helping our companies with the adoption of these technology trends. Um, this is the team that I lead, the impact team. Historically, um, we, uh, we started by helping our companies in a more consulting type fashion, more advisory. Over the past couple of years, uh, we've created a research and development uh, team within, within the impact team. Um, so to today, we help our companies in, in an advisory capacity whenever a company needs, needs advice in, in an area such as machine learning, AI, or privacy security, we offer that help. Um, we, we spend quite a bit of our time, though, building software libraries for our companies and, and together with our companies, um, primarily at the intersection of, of applied research and some kind of core business problems that we see across the portfolio. Um, when it comes to things like bringing ML into production. So that's kind of where we spend most of our time developing these, these software libraries. Um, and the uh, kind of the, the, the skills we have on the team and the skills we will always have on the team are very much aligned with, with these trends that we see as kind of changing the face of every industry and every kind of business software company out there. Um, and the, the trends that we're focusing on today, I mentioned security, privacy, AI. We have three main kind of trends that we, we emphasize when we talk to our companies and we kind of work with our companies after we invest to adopt the respective trends and create value. Applied AI is, is a big one. The, the notion of kind of bringing machine learning into business processes to um, augment decision making, to automate certain customer processes. Um, that's kind of one, one big area we're, we're spending our time on. 
Uh, a second one is the evolution of interfaces from, from websites, web interfaces, to mobile applications, to uh, conversational interfaces. This notion that uh, software companies, uh, business software companies can expose their capabilities through a voice assistant or through a messaging interface to create high user engagement. Um, that's another area of focus on, for us. And the, the third one is what we call customer trust, uh, which is really, um, which is really this notion of kind of building customer trust along along the journey as a way to create value um, from the first interaction point. So from sales and marketing to customer onboarding to basically product adoption and then and then upsell um, is something we 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 uh, spend quite a bit of our time with our companies on. Security and privacy definitely play a big component as part of this kind of customer trust journey because data management is, is, a, is a big kind of topic of, of when it comes to trust. Um, but that's kind of how we, how, we, um, how we operate. So we identify these trends, these big trends, and then we make sure we have capacity internally to help our companies adopt the respective trends. And the support we provide is advisory type support, more like consult- consulting style, and also R&D applied research. Uh, type support in the form of software libraries, software assets that we develop for our companies. That's super unique. I really like that, that you're doing that. You're helping with, I I haven't seen it. I have yet to seen a a VC firm do that. So that was unique for me. Um, If it's commonplace, I guess I'm just inexperienced with, with that. But uh, as I like to say, as I like to say, unique is great. Unique is not enough. It has to be valuable as well. The, the, uh, the story resonates with companies. So we're happy about that. The story really resonates with our companies. It's on us to make sure that we always identify the trends that matter and we build the software libraries that create value across the portfolio. Um, so that's our job. And basically we bring a product management discipline when it comes to prioritizing our, our investments in R&D. Um, so unique is fine. Valuable is more important. You well. mean to tell me that if I just build something that's really cool and exciting, <laughs> that the market won't just pour out value to it? No, I'm not telling you anything new. <laughs> right. I, I love it though, because what happened was it was a lesson that as, as, a, as a humanity, we learned so hard so many times over like the 90s and 2000s that you just can't build something cool. It has to be very valuable to the market. But I want to go a little bit deeper on trust because you seem to have a lot of knowledge there. You said you spent a lot of time there and you, and you spoke about a customer journey. And so while you were describing that, mm-hmm. the thing that the question that was burning in my mind was, how do you do that? Like if imagine I'm a portfolio company of yours mm-hmm. and I don't understand this concept of trust. Yes, we have a customer journey. Yes, we have everything that's in place mm-hmm. to generate revenue and we have a market that's responding. But how, tell me about how I create trust. Yeah, great, great question. Typically, with all all these thesis areas of ours, trust being one of our thesis areas, these kind of big trends that I'm, I'm talking about, we um, we create some frameworks. Um, so we we develop some thought leadership in, in the respective area. So for trust, we have a white paper, we have a set of principles, um, which constitute a framework that our companies can use when kind of guiding their developments on around trust. Um, but specifically. When we engage with a company around around trust, we start by running a trust, what we call a trust workshop, um, and the format is is quite simple. So we have we typically bring in the the key leadership from the company in the room, um, and um, Alex, who's our chief security and privacy officer, he used to be the, the chief security officer at BlackBerry. He's the person who typically runs those workshops, and we try to map out the entire customer journey with the company. 
Um, and then uh, we brainstorm with the company what would be some opportunities where we can uh, we can we can increase trust or some risks where perhaps we're losing trust and and we have to find some solutions to make sure that kind of that trust battery, if you will, with your customer, with our company's customers, um, is uh, is maintained. So the the format is really mapping the customer journey with the company and then identifying this kind of a brainstorming session to identify opportunities along the way. And then prioritizing those opportunities on a on kind of a value effort um, type type of type of matrix where where kind of you have the y axis is the value the x axis is the effort um, and then we we try to make sure that the company prioritizes kind of the the opportunities that are kind of the high value bucket if you will starting perhaps with the high value low effort ones if there are any and then moving on into kind of high value medium medium high high effort. Um, and then we help companies along the way kind of execute on these opportunities. So to give you an example, um, we have a couple of companies in our portfolio that are, are doing a great job at trust in general with their customers, um, but they're not kind of taking advantage of it from a, from a thought leadership perspective. So that becomes a marketing exercise. Can you, can you as a company bring trust into your marketing message and, and basically lead the market with this kind of notion of customer trust? Just taking some notes. <laughs> this is really good stuff. I actually, when I when I was researching originally when Mike referred, I went to your website and then you had a PDF that was about your principles and different different things of that nature. And so I was like, this is cool. I'm getting marketing, <laughs> thought leadership marketing from a VC. I've landed on many VC websites and I've never seen that. And that's what I'm most interested in because if I've taken anything from all of these conversations with these great leaders, it's that the culture and, and the people are the most important aspect of, of the organization. Mm -hmm. And so I, I read, I downloaded and read uh, the guide and I was like, this is some good stuff. You guys put a lot of work into that. Yeah. I'm glad you enjoyed it. Yeah. Was that part of the impact team or? It, it is part of the impact team. It's a collaboration between the impact team in general. It's a collaboration between impact and marketing. So the way we're structured at Georgian, um, we have we have all the functions that you would see in a typical software company. So think of the impact team as the research and development team. Um, we have a business development and marketing group as well. Uh, then our investment team really acts as our, our sales team. Uh, so as, as we invest in high quality companies, those are competitive deals. Not only we have to do due diligence, but we have to sell. So the investment team basically becomes becomes the kind of the sales team. Um, the, the white papers that we create in our thesis areas are typically a collaboration between the impact team and, and, and the marketing team. Um, often we have investment team members participating in the effort and that's kind of a nice way to kind of include them in the creation of the material. So, so that's basically an organic form of sales enablement, if you will, because they, they take ownership in the materials, they understand the white paper very well. So the next time the investment team goes on the road and talks to a potential investment opportunity, they can talk about trust uh, much more naturally because they are part of the creation of the of the trust white paper. So that's kind of the process at a, at a at a high level. Well, it also gives you the benefit because what I found is that your vibe attracts your tribe, right? And so by you putting that out there, it allows me to read it, mm -hmm. and then I can actually get I can identify with that. And I can be like, that's who I am, and so that'll naturally make me want to work with you. And then it's and then so that that occurs. And then for the people who are the opposite to you, right? They are like, we don't like that style. And then they don't waste your time at all. So it helps build that relationship prior to even knowing you. Yeah. 
I, I, I like your point. Yeah. So basically you're, you're creating that vision lock between a potential prospect or potential person and, and Georgian um, before, before we even engage with the respective company. Yeah. You can have a pre-portfolio company fall in love with you without ever actually having consumed any of your in-person time. That's the that's the uh, utopic state, I would say. I mean, we've, we've been we've been talking about uh, kind of getting to a point where we we all the kind of the best companies in the world are adopting our our frameworks, our assets before we even talk to them. Um, that would be that's kind of the the, the state we're we're pushing towards. Well, and it also helps because when I looked at it, I I saw your thesis and your requirements. You guys start your investments around companies that have like six. Like the minimum is like 6 million ARR, right? And so we're not there yet. But the cool thing that I found about is I said, well, I can follow this company and I can learn what what they're doing and so that I can implement some of these concepts in my company to have the greatest chance of getting to that stage. So it's almost like a, a pre-funnel or like a funnel for you guys by putting your thought leadership out there and say, this is how, this is what we're doing with the companies that are coming in. We're looking at trust. We're looking at these different areas. And then I can say, oh, look at those best practices that they're using. I should implement some of those in what I'm doing today. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's, the, that's the right thinking. It's a, it's a pre-funnel. We, we call it nurture. Uh, nurture I mean, yeah. we have kind of a nurture program and, and this falls under the nurture bucket, if you will. Uh, so if you have an early stage company that is adopting our assets, that basically follows your thinking, which is great thinking, yeah. uh, that, that becomes nurture for us. And we don't have to put any, any time and effort. It's scalable nature, nurture because we create those assets once and then all the companies kind of adopt the respective assets. Yeah, it's a very smart, a very smart group of people over there. I like we try, it. We try, Joe. <laughs> so th this impact team, uh, so you have a couple direct reports from this impact team mm -hmm. and you lead them. So I'm curious, so you, you've, you've seen inside a lot of companies and a lot of cultures, both at NetApp, your experience before that, and then mm -hmm. now evaluating companies and working with your portfolio. You as a person, as a leader, what are, what are some of the trends that you see across the more successful uh, cultures or the most successful leaders? Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a great question. Um, I would say, I think it's, gonna, it's always going to be team dependent. Um, in, in, in my case, I'm blessed to have a, a team of very smart, creative, collaborative individuals eager to make eager to make an impact um, and there's there's certain traits that I, I I think I observed over time that are, are typically valuable when when it comes to leading a kind of a, a team of very smart collaborative creative individuals that are eager to make an impact um, I think this notion of uh, of kind of making sure that you have you have strong relationships with, with every person on the team and and you basically you have the trust with every person on the team is, is important. Um, and I think of that organically. I mean, at the end of the day, um, I, I care about my team very much. And I think if, if, if you're a type of person that leads a team and, and cares about people a lot, then that will happen organically. The kind of the notion of building relationships and, and, and building trust with your team, that, that will happen organically. Um, listening to your team is, is, is crucial. And I don't think I'm saying anything new here, but I, I think taking that a step beyond kind of just listening, kind of including the team in, in solutions, in finding solutions to problems is also very important. Um, I think that's, that's probably, if I, kind of going back to my early days, I think I was, I was probably thinking too much in terms of everything is on my shoulders and I have to solve everything. And, and, and that's right up to a point. I mean, I, I don't want to be distracting my, my team with every kind of single problem or every single thing that I, I need to, to address or to solve. 
but I, I think kind of picking areas where uh, the entire team uh, brings kind of their perspective to to solving a, a a big problem. I think I think that's very valuable from a coming up with a better solution perspective, but also from a kind of team building perspective and, and bringing your bringing your your uh, team along, and uh, also very aligns very nicely with kind of having kind of a very strong very strong relationship, very strong bond with with, with your team. Um, I, I like this notion of of kind of leaders thinking a lot about you know supporting individuals and supporting that their team, so being kind of in support mode, and kind of empowering empowering people and and uh, trusting that people will will uh, will deliver given given kind of the the empowerment if you will, and and people will step up to to the opportunity. So that's kind of the mindset we adopt at Georgian in general, and that's working very nicely uh, with uh, with the smart group of people we have. And I think that's that's a that's a great kind of way to build build a team and, and build a company around around those those types of principles. I like it. Yeah, empowering others, right? Allowing them. And I like I like that you point out that we set the baseline of I have hungry, driven, talented people. <laughs> because <laughs> important. We get, we get a lot of questions <laughs> from the podcast, and I'm like, let's start talking about like who who are they? Because you you. You can take people who are running and you can point them in the right direction, mm-hmm. but you can't make people run. Mm-hmm. Like it's very, it's very difficult. It takes a lot of energy. Mm-hmm. We get some questions from the audience, and one of them that's been popular recently is about reflection. Mm-hmm. So taking time to process uh, what's been going on on a daily, weekly, monthly basis. So I've been asking a couple of, of the most recent guests, like how do you, how do you approach reflection? Yeah, great question. Um, I try to allocate. I mean, the simple answer is I try to allocate time for reflection. Um, typically, mornings work work pretty well for me. So I try to listen as much as I can to what everyone has to say on my team, but also across across the company, across the organization, and then allocating time to 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 think uh, to think about um, kind of the what's what's noise, what's signal. If you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. uh, kind of try to try to kind of understand what. Uh, what steps we need we need to take, or what's kind of going on in one one area? So, what can I do to improve the kind of the operations, the business um, overall? But I think dedica- dedicated time uh, typically works for me, and I think it, it should work in 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 general. Um, the, the other way, maybe to think about it, is in terms of high leverage activities. Um, so I don't know if you if you've read the it's, it's a famous book, High Output Management by by Andy Grove. Uh, the ex-CEO at Intel, and uh, he has a nice way to 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 kind of enable leaders and managers to think about their daily schedule in terms of activities that are low leverage kind of versus high leverage, meaning activities that um, kind of increase the productivity of, of your team or activities that are, are not, period. So being being thoughtful about kind of your schedule and and basically being control your of your schedule and and making sure that there's enough kind of high leverage activities on your schedule is also is also very important. Um, I, I kind of consider this this area of kind of reflecting and, and thinking about everything that's happening with the company as, as a high leverage activity because that can result in certain actions that that one may take. Maybe some training program as an example that can make everyone better, make everyone more 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 effective. Um, so that's kind of how I how I think about it. It's probably easier than I'm, I'm making it sound because, given given the nature of of kind of today's business environment, I think uh, everyone has a lot of kind of meetings on on their plates, and and I often find myself in kind of days where I have I mean back to backs. Um, 
but it's something that I, I try to pay attention to, uh, to make sure that I have enough time to, uh, to, to reflect and to think about um, what, what I can do to improve things. Are you an early person, early morning person? I'm an early morning person. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> how, how, how early? I would wake up at, at 6 a.m. or so. I'm probably in the office by, by, by 8. Okay. Uh, All right. So yeah. it's probably not that early, maybe. No, I'm like I'm like a I'm like a five five fifteen. Then I work out and then I have breakfast around six six thirty, and then I will write or do something. I try to structure my day before it starts. Got it. Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm probably the same, and I also try to structure my week my week on a Sunday evening before. Yeah. It starts. Yeah. It's super useful. It's actually it's it's really interesting when I made the transition from just battling it out every day to it was almost hard it was almost like you didn't want to or at least myself it was mm-hmm. like it, it requires a certain amount of trust in that it will work yeah. <laughs> to do it because because you have to you know plan out long term and then I started the reason why I started doing that was I was hearing a lot of these great leaders with these concepts of like thinking in terms of decades and like thinking in these like really like long mm-hmm. term plans and I started doing that and it gave me a sense of like, it felt right. And so that's, that's usually what I do. I go off of a little bit of data about how I'm doing a little bit off my feeling. I'm like, okay, this is good. It works. Let's continue it. And so yeah, planning on, on Sundays and and then early morning stuff is, has worked well for me. So what's the next decade looking like for you? Very good. <laughs> <laughs> if not, I would need some vision exercises. <laughs> No, but to your point, I don't know if you um, looked it up because you said training program, but that's uh, that's how I met Mike is we ended up having all these leaders come on the show and sharing their advice. And then we put it, we invented these things called leadership challenges and then deployed them. And then the first, the most interesting thing was when people were asking for it, I said, okay, I built an MVP in like 10 days. Mm-hmm. People who did ask for it, I deployed it to them. He said, okay, this is works. It's good. And I said, okay, now let's, let's sign a contract and become a customer. And some of them did. And so I was like, okay, great. Yay. Like we, not only is it something cool, but it's something, you know, that's valuable. And then, uh, I didn't know how to do sales at all. So I started watching some YouTube videos on how to make a sale. And then I sold like, you know, a hundred thousand dollars in annual recurring revenue in three months. I know. I was very excited. And, <laughs> and so I went up to uh, Tampa and I found a VC firm up there and I said, Hey, this is what's happened. Uh, I want to build a sales team that can sell this. And I want to build out engineering because I, I wrote the code on the original application. Yeah, That's my background. And then they said, okay. And then we did that. And now that was like in October. And now we have about 11 people. Nice. And yeah, we have great customers like Mike. And great. so I was very excited. So what are you most excited about right now? Like what's going on right now that like is really pumping you up? Um, well, all these great questions make me think. Um, I think there are, there are a few things. So maybe maybe talk about them in, in kind of terms of abstraction levels. So I think from a, from a kind of big industry trends perspective, um, uh, we've been talking recently at Georgian about this notion of indus- industry digital disruption. Um, so if you look at uh, the Ubers of the world, the Airbnbs of the world, that is one form of industry digital disruption. So basically software companies um, 
evolving from selling software to established traditional enterprises. So software companies selling software to the hotel industry would be the traditional way um, to a technology company taking over an entire industry. Um, if you think of kind of Uber kind of dominating the kind of the taxi industry. Uh, we made a recent investment in a company called Beam Dental uh, that is, is doing that for dental insurance. Um, and I guess in, if you look at insurance as a, as a space historically, all the software companies were selling to large kind of traditional uh, insurance companies. Beam Dental is, is kind of a different breed in that regard, in that they're providing insurance to, uh, to end consumers. Uh, to end customers uh, and they're technology enabled. So they have, a, they have a very strong technology stack. They're a software company first and foremost, but also an insurance company. Um, so we're quite excited about that model where, where kind of there's, there's an evolution from software companies selling to enterprise and, 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 and traditional kind of uh, companies uh, in, a, in a respective industry to software companies providing the, the functionality, whether it's insurance, whether it's financial services, um, we're, we're quite excited about about kind of that that big trend. So we're spending quite a bit of time these days uh, trying to understand how that trend might play out in in other other markets, other segments. Um, I'm 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 still very very excited about the applied AI as a trend. I think I think applied AI has been around uh, as a kind of as a big trend recognized by everyone for the past three years. I think I think we're kind of still in 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 hype mode, if you will. Um, but I'm seeing adoption in every company we we meet with, which is which is which is amazing. Or I'm seeing the kind of the desire to adopt machine learning into as part of business process into every company we meet with. Um, so that that's very exciting. Every company has has different challenges. Some companies have human generated data. Some companies have machine generated data. Data quality is, is a is a, is an issue. Is is an area that uh, that uh, companies probably, especially workflow software companies, uh, probably have to to invest a bit more time in. Um, but that desire to bring machine learning into into business processes, we're seeing it across across industries, and that, that's that's very exciting. Um, from from an applied research perspective, I mentioned that a lot of the work we do with our companies has kind of an applied research form. Um, there's some very interesting trends. Uh, one big one is is one trend called transfer learning. This notion of taking one AI solution built in one domain for one task and applying it to bootstrap another another kind of task, if you will, the automation of another task. Um, where, where this becomes very interesting is with enterprise software companies that sell to businesses to enterprises. Um, so imagine basically taking one machine learning model that was trained for one customer. Uh, to provide some predictions or to do some automation and you use it to accelerate onboarding for another customer without even waiting for data from the from the new customer from the second customer so that's an area we're spending quite a bit of our time on transfer learning to enable this kind of cross customer transfer of information in a, in a private way so that's that those are probably some 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 big areas that are are, are keeping me exciting these days from a, from a technology perspective from a business perspective that's huge that's like, that would do incredible things to the speed of deployment and margins within a business. Exactly. So speed to value is, is, is what, what that apply, area of applied research is, is enabling. Um, and um, I mean, we've, we've done some interesting work with, uh, with a couple of our companies. One company based in New York, WorkFusion, uh, they, uh, they're in the robotic process automation space. So they go into large companies like banks and they would uh, automate away they would build these bots that take away kind of uh, mundane 
uh, human human effort. So if, if you're a bank and you have people doing invoice processing manually, um, why not train a bot and and let the bot kind of do the invoice processing with with a bit of kind of OCR in the in the middle, um, and the, the interesting thing is you, to be able to train a machine learning model, to be able to train such a bot, such a robot, if you will, to take over kind of the human, the mundane human effort, you need enough samples of kind of those invoices being processed by humans. Um, so if you can take a model that was built for one bank or for one insurance company that was, was doing a, a task that is similar across all these multiple enterprises and you, you basically take that model and deploy it for a new enterprise, um, then you, you accelerate speed to value, as you say, um, and kind of the new customer gets, uh, gets immediate value from the product. Taking that a step further, um, there's a way to basically bring all these models together and aggregate them for the benefit of everyone. Um, so not only you can accelerate speed to value and onboarding times through transfer learning, you can also improve everyone's kind of performance of their bots by bringing all these, all these models together, all this information together. So that's, that's a very exciting area for us. Uh, and our companies are, are kind of are, are recognizing the value from all the work we're doing with them in that area. I'm interested to see the platform that you have. <laughs> <laughs> or at least the proposed platform for how you'll organize these models and distribute them and learn from them because you uh, you built a huge picture in my head of these layers and how it would interact and I guess just me being as me being me like I, I'm very excited I was I want to I want to see it. <laughs> <laughs> um, but okay so for you as an individual one of the questions that we get a lot is the cadence of of one-on-ones with their team now i know you mentor and you grow your team but do you do you have the concept of one-on-ones i do for sure um so i do i do have formal one-on-ones so i do, I do have them scheduled in my calendar um they're typically bi-weekly or or weekly um in some rare cases they're they're monthly um so it, it's a cadence myself and and my the, the the individual agree upon um and uh in addition to kind of having those meetings scheduled i i try to make myself available to every person on my team so if someone wants to come and have a discussion outside of the one-on-one i'm, I'm there so we uh, we share the same space we have an open space um i'm available and uh we can have a discussion outside of the kind of the one-on-one uh, one-on-one setting i, I believe they're the one-on-ones are very very important um, very valuable, and they are the employees' time, not my time. So um, I try as much as I can to kind of um, make sure that the, the kind of the employees empowered to come up with 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 an agenda and an agenda that that kind of helps helps the respective individual. Um, so that's kind of how how they're how they're uh, how they're designed, and they I find them very 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 useful. Um, I try to have them with people outside of my team as well. Uh, just to kind of make sure that um, as we grow as a business, so we were 20 something people a year and a half ago, now we're 40 something people. So as we grow as a business, I think it's important to make sure that we're not, we're not um, isolated and we're kind of, we keep that communication, the communication channels open. Um, so I, I value them a lot. I know I'm giving you a long answer, but no, this is great. I like one-on-ones and I, I would encourage everyone to, to, to have them in a formal setting. But I think, uh, I think there's only, I mean, making one, one, one available to, to the entire uh, team is, is also very important outside of those, uh, those one-on-one discussions. You bring up a good, a good point. Like what I, what I, what I hear you saying, is like something I experienced. The, the one-on-ones act as like the anchor, the pillar, like the schedule. 
scheduled area, but that doesn't excuse you from needing to be available and involved with what's going on. Yep. I think right. that's a much, much more succinct way of, of saying what I said. So much better way. Yes, exactly. Yeah. I'm just making sure I understand. Right? <laughs> yeah, it's exact. That's exactly right. <laughs> because I see some leaders who are like, I've got to, I, I get, let me back up. I get from people sometimes that their leader only magically appears when there's a one-on-one scheduled. And I was like, I don't know what type of company you're working at. But if you open up that door, there's about 12 people sitting right there at this long, we took a couple dinner tables and put them together. Um, but yeah, you just, you have to be available. But then even when I'm available, like the problem is I didn't have, at first I didn't have scheduled one-on-ones anchored in there because I'm so available. I realized that sometimes people see you and think you're busy. And so you have yep. to do both. Yep. Right. I don't want to bother them. They're busy. And so I can't just assume that they're going to walk up to me regularly. We have to do both. And learning that was something new for me this, this past year. Yeah. We all learn and grow. We all learn and grow. <laughs> so I'm going to run a hypothetical past you. It'll be fun though. A new, a new company that you guys are doing due diligence on. Mm-hmm. They're growing. Guess who the CEO is? Elon Musk. All right. All right. So a new company, Elon Musk, right? He comes to you and he's got a new product. You go, you fly out to meet him, right? He's got his new product. It's a time machine. Okay. You go, you try this out. Here's the thing with this time machine. You can only go back to the beginning of your career and give yourself one piece of advice. Mm -hmm. You spend 10 minutes with yourself. You can only give yourself a piece of advice. What would it be? Yeah, so, so first I'm I'm gonna invest in the company. That if 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 I don't know if that's part of the question. <laughs> um yeah, time machine. That's going back in the beginnings. Um yeah, I think I would I would emphasize um I would emphasize the um the inclusion element. So when it comes to basically realizing that no one no no one person is an island, and I think the the more People include others in solving problems, um, in figuring things out. The, the, the better the individual is, the better the outcomes are, the better the the team is. And I would apply that thinking at all levels. I don't think it's 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 just a kind of a CTO level thinking or a manager level thinking. Even a developer, even an engineer, a scientist can apply that thinking as well. I think there is a balance. I mean, you for, for every problem, you cannot you cannot just include the entire team for every problem. Um, but I think kind of getting that balance right is important, but I would stress the importance of always be thinking about kind of including including people in the conversation when it comes to kind of solutioning problems. Um, it's kind of probably one, one, one piece of advice I would give to, to myself. Um, I, I also say I was, I was blessed along the way of having, having some, some great mentors, um, like thinking of the IBM days, the NetApp days, and, and Georgian as well. Uh, so I so I had some great mentors along the way that kind of accelerated my my learnings, if you will, or uh, they accelerated my my thinking in terms of kind of approaching new situations. So that I I, I made mistakes, but I didn't make so many mistakes at the end of the day. Um, so that's that's also valuable, like finding finding people that that you can relate to that are are role models kind of along the way and. Um, I think I think there's there's I mean different stages of one's career. I think uh, there are different types of of mentors, role models, and one one can one can uh, leverage and and one can uh, develop a, a relationship with and 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 leverage kind of the help from that person. So I think 
I think the, the two kind of, uh, I would say, go hand in hand. So leveraging kind of the help of others, whether it's a mentor, whether it's your team, I think is very important. I love it, right? It's like we're, we're all little computers on this network. And the, if we leverage the team, we can get more processing power on the problem. Yeah. And it goes back to the baseline I set. Smart, creative, collaborative, hungry individuals <laughs> will give you amazing ideas. Yeah. You don't want to be a part of like some P2P music file sharing app. You want the, you want the smart AI systems on your team yep. <laughs> that are driven. <laughs> awesome. On the intro, when we do the intro for the podcast, um, you want me to call you Mads or do you want me to? Mads do, is perfect. Mads is perfect? Yeah. All right. I mean, if you, if, you, if you feel comfortable saying my first name, my people, I mean, how, how do you pronounce my first name? Like, I, I have to hear you pronounce it. It's Madeline. Madeline. Yes, but Mads is, Mads is, Mads. is much, much simpler, much nicer, resonates very well. It's cool. With people, yeah. Right? I yeah. like it. I think it's a pretty sweet nickname. Like when I, I was so relieved actually too, when you signed your email, when you responded from Miami and you're like, it was signed Mads. I was like, thank God. Because <laughs> I'm all, you to butcher my name, my first name. You know. It's because I can, I can never do it in the native tongue. Like I will never be able to do it as well as like your neighbor back home when you were a kid could do it. Like I just can't. You know? Yeah, I think I was. I, I didn't have the nickname coming into Georgia, and I was lucky. One one of our team members, Mary Claire, she came up with a nickname for me, and it was great. I said, "Yeah, this is this is it." Prior to that, everyone was struggling with pronouncing my my first name. I'll tell I bet you, you a lot of people called you Madeline. <laughs> That's exactly right. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, this has actually like been a fantastic call. I'm I'm really glad to get to spend time with you and meet you. Same here, Joe. Very nice. If you need anything from me, just send me an email and then uh, maybe one day our paths will cross at a conference or something like that. And we'll say hello. For sure. It's been All a right. pleasure. Have a great day, Mads. All right. Thank you very much. Bye. Hey, bud. Bye. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to help, please take a moment right now to open up the iTunes app and leave a review of the podcast. If you take a screenshot of the review and text it or email it to a friend who needs to listen to the podcast and then CC me, joel at moderncto.io. If you CC me on the email, I'll send you a copy of the Modern CTO book or give you a shout out on the podcast, whichever you prefer.